You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Happy to see you again. It's been a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, I can't wait to speak with my guest today about the difference between a CFO, a fractional CFO, and a fractional COO uh, from somebody who's been doing both. Um, ask you guys to pause this for a second, leave a review, follow, comment, whatever it is that they allow you to do on the platform on which you are watching or listening to this. And without further ado, I want to get into introducing our guest today, who is a fractional CFO with the Imperial Advisory Group, uh, which is uh, which is a fractional CFO firm that belongs to and is a vetted member of uh, the Fractional Leadership Organization. Uh, uh, our guest today has previously served as both a COO and CFO at a variety of small and mid-sized businesses. You can learn more about his company at imperialgrp.com. That's imperialgrp.com, like Imperial Group, but without some of the vowels, imperialgrp.com. Uh, I give you Jim Altieri. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Uh, hope you're having a great day. I'd like to say hello to all of your um, all the folks out there that are tuning in. Thank, thank you, you. For, for having me and thank you for uh, sharing your audience with me. I appreciate that. My pleasure, my pleasure. I wanna ask you uh, to start off, if you could give us a quick context, uh, like under two minutes, like a quick background into like how you got into this, like how, you know, you know, talking about this whole distinction between when somebody needs a fractional COO versus CFO, like what, what kind of like a two minute context and background on, on how we get to be talking about this today? Well, you know, that's a great question. And it's kind of interesting. I grew up in, in, a, in Rhode Island and I would come out of a blue collar family and I was the first family member to go to college. And um, when all of that was happening, this was a long time ago, the the world was a different place. And I didn't even know there was a such thing as fractional anything. I thought you got a job and you, <laughs> you went and did it. But I went into the Marine Corps. I got out of the Marine Corps. I went to college and I got involved in some interesting companies. Like um, I started out with Lockheed Corporation, which because uh, I figured being getting out of the service, going to Lockheed would make sense. And what I found out was that they're extremely um, inflexible. You really got to change policies and procedures to do anything entrepreneurial. And I'm a more of an entrepreneurial, um, out of the box thinking type of person. And then I went on to Timbaland and I went on to coach. And Timbaland, I actually worked in the factories and I really got immersed in operations as well as the, I was running the financial side of the business as their controller for nine factories. It was a great place to work. It was in the Dominican Republic. I mean, it was, a, it was like the wild west. It, the whole way the country was back then. It, it was just a different world than what we grew up with in the United States. And I had traveled to a certain degree, but it was a great eye-opening experience. We're running factories and we're doing some really interesting stuff for Timberland. Went to Toomey Luggage, went to Coach. Coach, I was there when we went public. We changed the world. I worked with some great CFOs there. The CFO from Timberland had gone to coach as the chief operating officer. And I was somebody that he would spend time with. He helped mentor me. And I learned a different way of seeing business than just from a financial perspective because I have a financial background. I went to business school. But I really got immersed in operations. And 
Then I went off and did a whole bunch of private equity stuff with a number of different companies where I was in both roles, as you had mentioned, COO and CFO. And sometimes there's only one of both and you're doing everything. And in effect, you're fractional on one side as you're full on the other or vice versa, depending on what's going on in the business. And then I found my way to Imperial through Gershon, who was the owner of the business recently. It's only been six months and I had done some consulting before that. But the idea of being fractional appealed to me because I think there's a lot of value in that model, especially for smaller businesses. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I know, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The, uh, the, the next question I really wanted to know is if you can paint a picture of like the kind of issues, problems, challenges that business owners might be facing, like before they bring in a COO or CFO, like before they meet you or talk to somebody at Imperial Group or whoever, like what's going on in their lives? I want to make sure people can see themselves in this, you know, in the kind of situations that you come into. What kind of problems and issues are they facing before they come into contact with you guys? So before I answer that specifically, I'd like to just give you a, a perspective of what I think is really important to businesses in general, which is one of the things I think they lack. And that whether you're a CFO or a COO or both, you can bring to that business from a fractional or part-time basis, however you want to perceive it, or full-time as well. And to me, what I learned working in a lot of these companies was that uh, especially in the factories themselves, or when we were transitioning from factory to sourcing really operational stuff that is really chief operating officer or vice president of operations type things, we have to find a common denominator to translate that. And that's always dollars. Everybody wants to use dollars. So that's where the finance guy comes in. But the finance guy's got to understand what's going on in order to capture that and paint that picture and tell that story through the financial tools that get used in any company, whether it's budgets and forecasts or variance analysis or doing pie charts and all the other good things that we do. Um, but there's a way to show, to paint that picture. And I think there's as much art as there is in science and how that gets chosen to be done. Because the way you communicate that is super important. And I think that's more on the financial side than it is on the operating side. And I, and I also think that um, understanding business process, when to implement systems in order to create and finding the right people, those three things, systems, process, and people are so in, important to a business. And the owners of businesses, especially smaller businesses, these, a lot of these folks, these young men and women are really good at doing what they do, but they haven't figured out how to delegate and how to let go and find the people that can either provide them with something that they don't already have, which they need, because they don't always know what they need. And on the other side of that is letting go so they can actually create the growth. So if you don't have the processes, the systems, and the people, you're going to hit a wall. And what I find in a lot of the businesses that I'm working with, the smaller ones, is they're already hitting that wall by the time they come and find us. So there's a there's a lot, there's a what, certain- What does that wall hitting look like? It could be that they are, they thought they were making money and they're actually almost insolvent. And, and, and Gershon, the owner of Imperial tells a great story about one of his 
former clients that had the situation, but I have seen that as well. They, they think they're doing well because they've got cash flowing in, but their own growth causes them to become insolvent because they grow at a rate that they can't keep up with and they can't, they can't buy into their inventory or they have to buy more inventory to support their growth and they can't right. afford to do that. And they don't go out and get bank lines and they're not looking for an investor because they don't know about this stuff. Right. And all of a sudden they wake up one day and they're basically bankrupt. They, they don't have enough cash to pay payroll, which is a big deal because they need right. people to come up upset. Because remember, it's people, process, and systems. That's one example. What's um, Gershon's story? I, I can't tell that story. Effectively. Oh, okay. he, he's got to be the one because he, he'll make you laugh as he's telling it. But it's, it's sad. But, he, you know, comedy is is drama over time. So it's, a, it's sad what happened, but it, he tells it in a comic way, which makes it interesting. And I just don't have the, I don't have all the facts to be able to do that. But, no worries. but at the end of the day, I think that issue of not having enough cash keeps rearing its head in a lot of the companies that I've been involved in. I have worked for companies, not even in a fractional capacity, where I have gone in as the COO or the CFO, and they told me that they are fine, that they've got cash, and I get there, and they cannot make payroll in less than a month. I mean, I've actually done that, and, and I'm, I've, run, I've learned how to do distressed bank models and cash flow to get a company out of insolvency when the owners who were investors didn't want to do another raise because they didn't want people to know that their comp their investors to know that they were struggling with cash at the time. Right, so, right. and then you have to start leveraging your, your vendors and everybody else and stretching out your accounts payables. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of issues where CEOs, owners of businesses have a perspective based on information they've been provided, but it isn't always correct. So, some of the dynamics that I think need to be in place in some of these businesses are there's got to be a disciplined approach to understanding what happened in the previous month. And a lot of these smaller businesses don't have the time. They're growing rapidly and they don't have a person like a COO or CFO that brings a level of discipline to the business, a level right. of rigor, right. rigor in that the numbers make sense and they're correct. Um, I have looked at so many financial statements and, and, and uh, spreadsheets where the information I'm being provided is, is not directionally correct. It's so far off that a lot of the things that let's say an investor would want to look at, gross profit, margin percent, uh, EBITDA are significantly off, sometimes right. in a way that would make it look more lucrative to invest but in reality, they're never going to be able to achieve those results. Right. And then you also have the issue, I think, with business owners that they believe so much in their business, just like they believe it. We believe in our children, right? These businesses are children for these people. They're just like a, a member of the family that they don't always see the forest for the trees, that they don't realize that what they're forecasting is not even achievable because what they're achieving today is much it's not nearly, and they think that their growth will solve everything. So they turn around and they double their sales and they think they're going to drive their sales to get out of that problem, which then brings them back to the insolvency issue. And I see those a lot with right. these businesses that we're involved in. Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, one of the things that you talked about, you know, kind of that interplay between COO and CFO or maybe both, 
Um, you know, one thing that's, you know, possibly confusing to me and some people is that the COO or, or integrator is taking on P&L responsibility. You know, they're, which seems like a financial type of thing. So that can kind of maybe blur the lines sometime. They're responsible to make sure that the business is profitable. So like, how, how does somebody know, if they have a business, how do they know if their biggest need or their first need is with a COO? Is it with a CFO? What exactly is the difference between them? That's a really, that's a great question. And the answer is terrible. It's, it depends. And, and <laughs> well, give and us some of the factors. And I will, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my perspective on that, but I, and, and you've been there too. So you, you kind of understand. It depends on what the industry is and what the business is actually doing, I think, to differentiate between the two. So what I'd like to start with is, let me define what I believe is a traditional COO versus a CFO and what they're involved in in the businesses, and then you can easily see the Perfect. difference. Um, you know, for me, a, CF, a COO is more operational. They come with an operational background. So let's say that the COO we're talking about doesn't have a background in finance. He's going to go to a big company or she's going to a large company that's over $500 million and they're focused solely on operational type issues. They're going to be looking at First of all, their business isn't necessarily driven by dollars, but dollars are important. They might be driven by transactions, but there's something going on behind those dollars that are driving those dollars. And that's where I think the operational person gets really invested. So a COO has got organizations reporting to them like supply chain, the entire supply chain, operations, which is a part of the supply chain. They've got distribution. They've got scheduling, purchasing, demand planning. They have manufacturing or sourcing or both. When I worked at Coach, we did all of the above and we were involved in all of that. And we were transitioning from uh, manufacturing in the US and in the Caribbean to outsourcing completely in China because this was way back around the turn of the century. So it makes me sound so old, but it was like 1999, 2000, 2001. And, and we were transitioning our business to China, but not primarily to save money. It was because the quality of the product was going to be so much better, which really reduced our costs because the rework went down. So operational type folks, chief operating officers, vice presidents of operations, senior VPs of supply chains, the types of people that I spent an awful lot of my time learning from and being around are really driven by those operational things I just described. Um, a CFO, in my mind, is significantly more financially minded. They're dealing with the accounting aspects, and they, they're, they're talking in a common, a common uh, language, which is called money. They translate everything operational to dollars and cents, so everybody can understand the impact of that, but you don't want to lose the impact of the transactions or the mix of, of the product that people are working within. For example, if you change the type of products you sell and they become more expensive to produce, transitioning from let's say fabric handbags to leather or vice versa and changing the way that they're produced, your costs can change and all of a sudden your margins and your profits can go down. Mm -hmm. The CFO has got to be paying attention to stuff like that, but he's going to understand that from the operational side of the business. But they're dealing with accounting, they're dealing with financial forecasting, treasury type functions, banking, debt service, when does a business need to borrow? Uh, when should it 
how do you know the difference? When should you decide to borrow versus sell a piece of the business and talk to the owner about what is going to better serve him in that capacity? A chief operating officer doesn't generally have to do that unless they are going to wear both hats. Um, investor relations, you might have legal reporting to you as a CFO. Generally, that might not report to a, a chief operating officer. It could. If, and remember, this is if a business has a clear delineation between a CFO and a COO, how I would divide up that pie. Mm -hmm. you, and, and it's also, you're gonna, a CFO is going to definitely deal with mergers and acquisitions and all that kind of stuff. So, so the financial modeling and the growth of a business through the financial side of the business comes more, I think, on the CFO side and the operations folks are the ones behind the scenes driving the business. So you've got the front end of the business, which is sales, marketing, design. If you're in a design house like Coach was or may still be, where the designers have so much power, they are really in charge. Or you're a smaller company and you're designing something that's never been sold before and you're the CEO and you need to go find somebody. Are you? What do you go to look for? Well, you got to set up your back end of the business, which is the operational piece of it. And the finance piece gets tagged along a lot with the operational piece. And I think that's where there's a huge opportunity for whether you're a CFO that has an operations background or you're more of a COO that has a finance background, the question becomes, what are you stronger at? So if you're more of an operations guy, but you're gonna, you've learned some of the financial stuff working for the smaller companies, you can function in that world. And if you're a finance guy like me, a chief financial officer type person who spent an awful lot of time reinventing the business through processes, then you are dabbling on both sides. So I have a very strong process, procedures, systems, background that melds with people. And I have a learning process to teach organizations that to transition from a business from that's not doing well to make, to actually helping it improve. So I'm all right. about transition and transformation. And at the same time, I can do the finance, a lot of the financial stuff. I have a relatively deep background. You get into mergers and acquisitions and that kind of stuff. I've done a lot less of that, more mm. operational minded. But does that help differ differentiate? Yeah, it definitely helps. And, and one thing I see from your description is that there's really two kinds of COOs as well. You have some that you initially started to describe that's more of a VP of ops you know, which, you know, that's one kind of, you know, person that sometimes sometimes called a COO. And then you have another that is running the entire business, not just the operations side, but also uh, finance, marketing, and uh, uh, sales could be, would be reporting to them too. They're running the, the whole business uh, on behalf of the CEO or visionary. Um, that's another kind. And that sounds like that's a little different from what you're describing. Although you kind of reference that too as a possibility, because like you said, it really depends what what kind it is. But how does a person know? How does a business owner know? Do you think whether they whether they should be bringing on an executive, whether a COO or CFO, full time, or they should really look for a fractional resource? The I, I would say that that. There's, that's a, a complex question as well. But first of all, how big how big is the business? Because um, the size of the business is going to determine what they can afford. Also, what stage of 
transition are they in? What are they transitioning? Are they transition? Are they driving growth? Are they trying to implement a new system? Are they dealing with um, COVID? The supply chain falls apart, and they don't know how to deal with that. I mean, that was a real issue, uh, and it's still an issue in this country today because the supply chain is really disrupted because of what's happened with COVID. And you can walk in. I, I can walk into Stop and Shop right up the street, and then recently, all of a sudden, products not on the shelves. They're just not getting it. So I go talk to the meat manager. Where's all the meat? They ain't here. <laughs> the stock. Is, so so when you've got when you've got a, a, depending on the type of transition that a business is making can help the owner or the CEO determine what type of person that they want. A lot of times they don't understand it that way. They don't really understand the difference. So I think one of the best things they could do is actually speak to a fractional company like Imperial, speak to people like you, speak to a friend that does that type of work and get some guidance. Getting guidance is, that's the free part of it. It takes time. These people don't have a lot of time. And, but it's worth it because it, it's going to save you a lot on the back end to make a better decision and also understand the type of person. doesn't matter if it's a, a man or a woman. It matters. Are they going to fit within your organization depending on how you drive it as the owner of the company, how you want to see that and understanding what you really want to achieve. So I think, I think the way to answer the question is you got to understand what you can afford you, and, and you've got to understand what you're trying to change and understanding what you're changing and what you can afford can help you make a decision as to whether you need someone who's fractional or full-time and also whether or not you want someone that's more on the finance side or the operations side, depending on what you're trying to modify. Right. Um, that's a very simplistic boiling down of, of a very complicated subject of what does each business need because right. if a business is they invent some something new that's never been sold before and they don't have much of an operational background and they're out trying to chase venture capital dollars or private equity dollars they don't need an operational guy they need a cfo that understands how to set up the back end of the business too uh-huh. perfect example <laughs> If you think that there's a different way to go, you should say, because I, I love to have the dialogue could be more interactive because you have been a CEO and you've been all the fraction, you've done a lot of the fractional stuff. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that example of intellectual property. It hasn't ever been produced. They got to, yeah, they got to find out where they're going to make it. That's very important, but they can also get that if, but they're really chasing the dollars like on Shark Tank or something they're going to need a finance guy to come in to maybe help or finance gal to help them find their way because they're not going to get to the operational piece until they can come up with the money anyway. Right. Well, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue too, because you have to be able to demonstrate to them that you have the wherewithal within the company to deliver on what they're giving you money to do. So so it does get a little complicated in that. But the the last thing actually, before we run out of time that I wanted to, to get from you is mistakes like what are you know so again so people can see themselves in it what are some of the biggest finance or operations mistakes that you see people uh you know you see people making or the business owners are are making uh before i guess they get whatever the right you know guidance is uh what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing or like the biggest most glaring issues uh that people have 
the biggest, the toughest issues to resolve or to the, some of the transitions that I have had to do come back to the issue of insolvency. I have worked for a number of companies where I was full-time employed, but they weren't able to give me financial statements because they didn't have any, um, where they were either private equity backed or they were self-funded. And they didn't realize that a business that I was working for, they let's say they had 11 stores in New York City, New York City, they had the stores across the country, San Francisco, Chicago, all the big markets, New York, they had three or four stores, maybe a store in Long Island, something going on in Florida, high-end locations, it's a, it's a luxury product. Half their stores are not making money. They don't have a common way of building out storefront. They're on the wrong streets and they're not gonna make money. And we're gonna have to shut these stores down. They're much better off in the e-commerce space because they're making a lot of money in the e-commerce space, but they don't realize that these stores aren't making money. Mm. Also, be in a, they're in a market that isn't making money, and they think that it just needs more time, but that market isn't necessarily ever going to come around with the model that they're trying to run. So not having the right business model, the mm. right footprint, it could be devastating. By the time they bring in the finance or the operational folks that have the ability to see it, they've already spent an awful lot of money or right. they spent an awful lot of time, and then it becomes a painful process to transition. Um, but, and, and these businesses could be anywhere from, I've seen it at, at 10, 15, $20 million, $30 million. They're not gonna get to that 50 until they, they correct these issues because it's those, business, those pieces of the business are taking up the lion's share of people's time. And they're also eating up a lot of the profitability of the other aspects of the business that are running well. Like, Right. And that is e-commerce. So that's one example. I think another thing that I see a lot is when they start to really manage change. So let's say the business is actually running well. It's five or $10 million. They've done a great job and they don't have any issue of they picked the wrong markets, wrong footprints, or they've, they've invested into the wrong inventory and it's not going to sell or something like that. They, they've got a good thing going. Now they're trying to double and triple it. They want to sell the business, but then they start to manage change into the business and they're going to put in a new system. That can be backbreaking from an organization that doesn't have the discipline or doesn't even understand its own process flows. Because what I've seen a lot is that they bring all of their existing problems into the new system. Why not spend some money on a fractional person, whether it's a CFO who's done system implementations or a COO who's done system implementations and get their advice that they've actually, in, they've, they've implemented SAP or NetSuite or any of the other financial systems that are out there, or they've done Salesforce on the back end because this, the people that are selling you these systems are going to come in and tell you, they're going to solve all these problems for you, but they, they have a certain ceiling of how much they can spend and once they get close to that number, they're going to start losing profit, especially with the fixed cost job. And all of a sudden, they're not willing to customize, make changes. And you're just starting to figure out with your team who's already doing a full-time day job that the process flow to get from wherever you're making your product to have it delivered on the U.S. side, coming across the ocean with transportation and everything else, and then and the the, the process flow that they're building into this system solution isn't right. 
or it isn't what you're evolving to. It's the old way that's broken and you should be fixing those problems in the new process flow to make sure you're not gonna spend money reconciling product that left China on day one, three weeks later it shows up and it's leaving the port and it's, it's not in the same level of detail and you don't know if you're sending the right stuff to the right place. I've seen all of these things. I worked for a company within the last 10 years that they're, they're in the business of selling a particular product. And it took me about, and I'd only been there, they had an insolvency issue. We got through that. We got through the, the, the um, getting the vendors, creating enough capacity. They're growing the business on the front end quickly. And they didn't have enough capacity to produce for that market for that period of time. They weren't gonna have enough capacity. I, I convinced the factories in China to produce differently the way we learned to do it at Coach. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get the boring detail of what that is, but it's new product versus existing because there's a very different timeline for that. But then we turned around and we're dealing with a whole nother issue um, with this company that they, at the end of the day, the company wasn't going to be able to grow unless it completely shifted the way that it was trying to sell its product. So what was actually happening was we had a broker who's getting a commission to get our wholesale accounts to purchase product from us. She was doing a great job, but then we weren't paying her. The truth of the matter was we weren't shipping the product. Who doesn't ship the product after you've made it and put it in a warehouse? The sales team was so inundated with work that they couldn't keep up with the orders. They were sticking them in a drawer. They never came back to them. Mm. She was looking for her commissions. I thought somebody was stealing from us in the warehouse. Mm. on the other side of the country. Then I figured out we weren't selling it. There were no sales orders. That's, and, we're, and this was an $11 million business and we're talking about a million dollars in sales a year. This is huge for this business. Yeah. Oh my and gosh, wow. Hugely right. disappointing. Right, no. We fixed it. Right, well, that's, a, that's amazing. It's very cool. I mean, look, I appreciate the orientation and you know, kind of sensitizing us to the kind of issues people are facing, the problems that, you know, that they could be looking out for and, and kind of the areas where, you know, fractional CFO or COO could potentially help them and, you know, try to figure out what's right and when. Uh, just incredibly helpful. Really, really appreciate you coming on, Jim. Uh, again, you can learn more about Jim Altieri's company, Imperial Advisory Group at imperialgrp.com. And Jim, really, really appreciate you coming on today and, and thank you. Appreciate what you shared. Well, thank you and have a, have a great weekend. The weather's looking really nice for the weekend. I'm going hiking and camping on Saturday. I'm a, I'm a Boy Scout leader. Ah, nice. Well, enjoy. Appreciate your service. Obviously, well, so, you know, military service in the past and, you know, you. and service to the community with the, the Boy Scouts now. Very cool. And I uh, appreciate it. And we will see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.